So, Liz, today on the show, we are going to talk about silencing your inner critic. Oh, please, yes. And as you will hear later, I have a very loud inner critic that is constantly preventing me from even getting started on a project. (laughs) As do many of us, really, I think. That's right. But here's how I've often dealt with it. Are you ready? Sure. Okay, first, I procrastinate Mm -hmm. to an insane degree. Like, (laughs) let that deadline loom super large. This is going to crush me like an avalanche. Okay, great. Then, the night before that deadline, I stay up super late Uh until I am so tired, I know I'll be physically unable to remain awake much longer, and bang, my brain is like, inner critic, we have a half hour of consciousness left to get this done. <laughs> We're kicking you out for the evening. And finally, I managed to scramble something together. Okay, so procrastinate and exhaust yourself. Hmm. That's your method. Yeah. <laughs> I could use some other methods is what I'm saying. Perfect. Well, let's see what we can do today. From Wondery, this is Safe for Work, Job Stress, Life Relief. I'm Liz Dolan. And I'm Rico Galliano. First up on today's show, we'll be talking with Dr. Elizabeth Lombardo about how to learn to work with and sometimes silence your pesky inner critic. Then we'll confess our workplace jargon sins and be cleansed in the ritual fire of everyone's favorite segment, Lingo Bingo. And as always, we'll answer your calls and help with whatever's causing you trouble at work. All that and more here on Safe for Work. Stick around. What if the experience of driving a luxury vehicle wasn't limited to just inside your car, but extended out into the world around you? Introducing the well-connected 2019 Lincoln MKC with a suite of social tech capability that connects the world inside to the world outside. With Amazon Alexa, enabled with Sync3 AppLink, you have access to all the skills and services you get on your Echo. Alexa's activated by the sound of your voice. Hey Alexa, what's the weather like tomorrow? Currently, it's 46 And responds using your car's speakers. With Waze integration that appears right on the nav screen, you'll transform traffic jam streets into clear roads. Got a load of friends? Keep them connected with a 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot that allows up to 10 devices to connect at once with Lincoln Connect. With the 2019 Lincoln MKC, life gets a little easier from the moment you leave home to the moment you return. Hey Alexa, open my garage door. Okay. Available via iPhone with Sync 3 with software version 3.0. Commands may vary by phone and AppLink software. Don't drive while distracted. Use voice-operated systems when possible. Don't use handheld devices while driving. iPhone is a trademark of Apple Inc. registered in the U.S. and other countries. The 2019 Lincoln MKC. Learn more at lincoln.com slash Wondery. That's lincoln.com slash W-O-N-D-E-R-Y. So, Liz, now we are going to turn to a topic I am an expert on, Uh namely telling myself I'm not an expert on anything and just who the hell do I think I am giving people advice. (laughs) Yeah. What Rico's saying is we're going to talk about our inner critic. Yes. That little voice in our heads that tells us we don't deserve success or that we may as well not even bother trying to attain it Mm. or that we should at the very least be constantly stressed and freaked out about the work we do because isn't it and it will never be good enough. God, the inner critic is such a total jerk face. (laughs) But here to help us silence it is Dr. Elizabeth. 
Elizabeth Lombardo. She is a Ph.D. in psychology, a frequent contributor to The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and other outlets. And here's my favorite entry on her resume. She is Shaquille O'Neal's, quote, head coach for happiness. Dr. E, are we to glean from this that even Shaq has an inner critic? I cannot comment on that, but given that he is human, we can assume he probably does. You're not going to give us examples of Shaquille's self-torture? <laughs> Confidentiality. Oh, come on now. <laughs> Let, let's start with this question. Why do we develop this debilitating monologue in our minds, even apparently Shaq? It, it doesn't seem like it serves us particularly well from an evolutionary standpoint. Like, no, prehistoric man, don't bother trying to climb that tree and get the fruit or whatever. You'll probably fall better to starve. It doesn't make any sense. Why do we have this? Well, I mean, actually, if you look evolutionarily, it makes sense to have uh, an inner critic that says, look out. So if we heard wrestling in the bushes, for example, you know, a million years ago, and we thought, nah, it's probably nothing, we'd probably get eaten by whatever that is. <laughs> True, So yes. that, that hesitation and that negative slant may actually be helpful. Um, and if you look at it from nowadays, the way that I see our inner critic is even though it says not nice things, it actually has a positive underlying motivation, which is to help us be better. So we, if we expect the worst, we can come out with the best result? Or if we have the right fears, it's going to get us headed in the right mm. direction? Well, if you have a fear or if you have something negative going on in, in your in your mind, so let's say your mind is saying, you are not going to get that promotion. Right. What it really wants you to do is to get the promotion but to protect you. And so if you can use that inner critic to say, okay, I know you're trying to protect me, so I'm going to do my best or I'm going to study more or I'm going to get more supervision on how to get this, uh. then that will actually help you get what you want. But it's really, it's a, it's a different way of listening to your inner critic because a lot of times when we hear the inner critic, we accept it as real and we move on and feel horrible. I see. So in a way, it's a motivator is kind of what you're saying. It can be if you use it that way. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let, let's actually, mm -hmm. uh, to that point, why it, does it seem to be louder and more destructive for some people than others? Like, is there a certain kind of person who has a more active, shouty inner critic? So there are two variables that are important to look at. One is your level of stress, <laughs> which mm. most of us have in our lives. Mm -hmm. And the second is how you view yourself. So when it comes to stress, or in psychology, we like to use the term distress. Mm. And distress is really any emotion you don't want. It may be anger or fear or worry or shame or guilt. And the higher our level of distress is, the louder our inner critic becomes. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, the, so is maybe one of the keys, I guess, to diffuse the inner critic to lower the stress in your life? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Now, some people may say, ah, I can't do that. I have too much going on in my life. But, you know, I like to think of distress as a continuum from zero to 10. So zero is you just got off the massage table. Life is great. No worries at all. 10 is you're overwhelmed with distress. Now, when you're at a seven or a higher, I call that the red zone. And I tell all of my clients, if you're at a seven or higher in the red zone, don't let anything out of your mouth because that's when you say something you regret. That's good And advice. don't put anything in your mouth because that <laughs> tends to be when we consume things we don't want to do. Okay. <laughs> the junk food. I like that. You make it so simple. Yeah. That's really, that's very clear. All right. Another thing you do, Dr. E, is divide people into four personality types based on their inner critic. And you gave us a little quiz to take to determine which type we are. That's right. Rico, what are you? I am a regretter. Oh. You call it a regretter. We'll get to that in a second. And I'm a perfectionist, Dr. E. But let's start with Rico. 
what is a regretter? Oh, let's, how much time do we have? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Let's start with Rico. So a regretter is someone who consistently thinks of the past and what they should have, could have, would have done. Oh, yeah. That's they me. They beat themselves up and often replay over and over and over again something that happened, a mistake, of a flub over of words, something they didn't like about it. Mm-hmm. I call this pressing on a bruise. Mm-hmm. You oh. ever pressed on a bruise? It hurts. It doesn't help the healing, but that's what a regretter tends to do. Okay. Does this sound familiar, Rico? Yes, very, is this very your familiar. Your shouty inner critic. Is, That's right. Mm-hmm. I could, I could tell you. There are several things that seriously, there, there are small things that I probably think of at least once a month and have for years <laughs> that I should have done better long ago. So what, what do I do? What is the uh, solution for diffusing regretism? Well, one step that you can take is to focus on what you can do as opposed to what you can't. So a regretter very much says, if only I had X, then things would be okay, which actually means things would only be okay if only I hadn't X. And the problem with that thinking is you're thinking, only if I could go back into time, could things be okay. (laughs) All I need is a time machine, right, Dr. E? That's all you need. If we had a time machine, that would be perfect for you. (laughs) Um, But I have a saying, and that is, it's not failure, it's data. It's not failure, it's data. So if you can look at those past events that you beat yourself up for, how can you change things in the future? Maybe not make that mistake again or use it for the next time that you speak to that person or even help someone else out who's in a situation that you had been in. So looking for opportunities to apply your new knowledge. Oh, really? So it doesn't even have to be aimed at yourself? It could be aimed outwardly at somebody else? Yeah, because when we have an experience in the past, we can help other people not have that experience if it was unpleasant. And then how does that, how help, does that me? help me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we both say in unison, wait, well, what about me? <laughs> you know, let's look at the, the research on happiness. You know, one of the keys to happiness is when we help out someone else. So, for example, I had a client who um, was supposed to give a speech. Of course, public speaking is one of the biggest fears out there. She got on stage and totally messed it up. Okay. okay she realized she hadn't been preparing. She had procrastinated her rehearsals because she was so fearful. So next time she was able to use that and really hunker down and do the dress rehearsal so that she would be better. But in that case, she could also help counsel or coach someone else, maybe on her team, to help them be a better speaker after she made mistakes. So okay. it's really, it's truly it's just a matter of personal happiness. So uh, some of this advice isn't necessarily about, you know, just uh, increasing your workplace happiness. It's like your personal happiness in a way. Right. And we know from, again, from the research that when we are happier individuals, we tend to be happier at work. And we know from the research that happier workers are a lot more productive, a lot more effective, tend to get promotions. So working on your own happiness is going to help you not only feel happier, but also help you be successful in the workplace. Great. All right. Okay. Let's talk about me and now blah, 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 about other people's <laughs> happiness. So I'm a perfectionist, Dr. E. So what form does that take in my life? Like what, what, what is my inner critic telling me most of all? So a perfectionist is more than just people who like to have a neat junk drawer. Perfectionists tend to think in all or nothing terms. Mm-hmm. Something's perfect or it's a failure, right? It's right or it's wrong. It's my way <laughs> or, or the highway. Wrong. Exactly. Gee, I don't know what you're talking about, Dr. E. I've never seen this in, in Liz whatsoever. So this is new. I, I realize that we'll, we'll just let you know what's really going on inside. And then the key is that perfectionists take it one step further. So it's perfect or it's a failure. And if it's a failure, then I'm a failure. 
And it's actually that fear of being a failure that perpetuates the perfectionism, that drive to maybe constantly work or keep pushing yourself or other people. Do you think that's true, Liz? Is that true? I think that's true? true. It seems like a... Could that could be a healthy instinct, though, right? Isn't that called improvement? Mm. So I love that you said that. So I myself am a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> I wrote a book called Better Than Perfect, Seven Strategies to Crush Your Inner Critic and Create a Life You Love. And in the book, what I talk about is exactly what you just said, using the good of perfectionism, the strive for excellence, the really pushing yourself forward, but without some of the not so good of perfectionism, mm-hmm. which is never feeling like you're good enough, always feeling like you have to keep doing something in order to feel worthy. Mm -hmm. I definitely have that all or nothing at all personality. And you're right. That's not just in the workplace. That is across my entire life. So... Okay, good insight, Dr. E. <laughs> yes, thank you, Dr. E. Um, and I guess we can direct folks to your website to learn about perhaps what their own problems are, perhaps which personality. Or solutions. Yes, which personality type they are. Do you have a quiz that you can direct them to? Yeah, so I actually have a quiz. I call it ICS, Inner Critic Syndrome. And the quiz is at doyouhaveics.com. All right. We'll put a link to that in our show notes. How about that? Sounds great. Thank you. Excellent. Dr. Elizabeth Lombardo, thank you for talking to us. And I'll try to put your advice into action when I listen back to this interview and I find myself regretting I didn't do a better job. (laughs) Excellent. Thanks. Here's something that I think we've learned so far on the show. Yeah. Uh, A not smart thing to do is to listen to your inner critic, especially if it is the inner critic in my brain. Yes. Now that I've heard that inner critic in your brain, not smart to listen. Aggressive and lying all the time. But do you know what is smart? What is? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash safe to hire the right person. That makes total sense. Yes, Yes, of course. Preferably somebody without an inner critic like mine. (laughs) ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. That is why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over one thousand reviews. And right now, listeners of Safe for Work can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash safe. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash safe, S-A-F-E, ZipRecruiter.com slash safe. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So Rico, you know what's keeping me sane lately? Me. <laughs> well, that and SaneBox. Oh, perfectly because named. email makes me insane. Or not so much the email. It's not the email's problem. It's the volume of email. Yes, we're so with you. So when you try that initial SaneBox purge, it is very powerful. Mm. It sort of purges your inbox, and then the program manages all your email every day from there. So some things become sane reminders. Some things go into the sane black hole, which is <laughs> nothing from you, of course. But Great. Then, then the sane box later is good. So it means the stuff that's important really does surface, and everything else later or never. Thank you, SaneBox. That sounds insanely awesome. Yes. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com safe today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-B-O-X dot safe. 
Okay, Rico, we'll get to Lingo Bingo in just a second. I know you're very eager to do so. Oh, always, Liz. But, but first, let's take a call from a listener. We've got Heidi on the line here. Hello, Heidi. Hi. Hi. Uh, I understand that you have a question about salary and asking for more of it. Tell us about it. Yes. So here's the situation. My current job is the first quote-unquote real job I've had since college and I've been here a while and I was just happy to have a job and so I didn't negotiate salary or anything. Now I'm looking to transition to a new quote-unquote real job and I have no idea how to negotiate salaries. So I literally just got the offer and they're asking me what compensation I'm looking for. Congratulations, yes. first of all. Thank you. Nicely done. Well well put. You must be excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> like, I can hear it so Yay. obviously in your voice. All right. So here's, here's your first must do when you're negotiating. And okay. you wrote in your email that you felt a little weird about asking for money or for negotiating. And yeah. you must get over that idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. It is not weird. You live in a capitalist society. Here, <laughs> we trade our labor for money. Yes, that's it's true. Really that's okay. the basic agreement. And you already know that this is the time when you get your biggest raise is going from one gig to another. And after this, it's mostly going to be cost of living adjustments. So mm-hmm. it's really important to do this. And your employer knows this. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't be put off by you ambitiously going for as much <laughs> money as you can get. And you should make the most of it. That's yeah. the basic. That's it. Okay. Yes. Asking for money. This is the time to ask for the money. <laughs> but Liz but has got more details. I have a little bit. I'm trying to inspire you here, Heidi, because I know how hard this is. And let me say this. You can be a thoughtful, hardworking, generous, lovely person later once you have the job. I know you're trying to like <laughs> create a good image. And it is it is challenging for women, especially in negotiation, because it's yeah. received differently. So there's a gendered issue here. Let me explain a little bit about what's going on. In a recent report from Payscale, which is a compensation data firm, they said 78% of men and 67% of women discuss their salary expectations at the beginning of a job interview. Yet once the offer is made, 55% of men compared with only 36% of women actually negotiate their offers. So, wow. Heidi, don't be in that 36%, okay? <laughs> I beg you. I beg no, you. No, I don't want to. <laughs> and here's why. You know, because it really adds up over time. If you take a little bit less now, then you're losing ground on all of your future compensation too because your annual raise is often a percentage of your current salary. But then that means you end up with less money in your 401k and your 403b because you can only afford smaller contributions. And later in life, mm-hmm. you'll be getting a smaller social security check because they're based off your smaller payroll uh, tax contributions. And you know what? Here's the shocker. If you add it all up, over the course of their career, college-educated women end up making like $800,000 less than men over their lifetimes. So this is how I want to inspire you, Heidi. Do not think (laughs) of this as negotiating for a one-time salary. Think about it as negotiating for $800,000, okay? (laughs) Well, when you put it that way... Good. Not, not to put me. any pressure on <laughs> no, you or anything, no. Heidi, but $800,000 is at risk. Take it or leave it. Eight hundred k. Your Your call, Heidi. <laughs> I need to stand up for myself, negotiate that 800000 yep. You do. I have in my mind a number I would be happy with. And so practically speaking, 
how much higher than that higher. should I start yes. with? Because I know they're going to We can't come tell back you lower. exactly, but higher. <laughs> because then if you, because then if you have a bargaining, you know, yeah. if you start bargaining, you bargain down to the number that you can act- actually be happy with. Can I ask how you came up with the number that you have in your head? Is this based on researching the pay scales for this job in your region, all of that? Or is it just the number you always wanted to make? <laughs> well, so it's based kind of on cost of living in that area. And then what I make now in a very comparable position. So yeah, based on kind of research and a little bit of what I would like to make, of course, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, good. So it's a, it's a, it seems like a legitimate amount to you. Yeah, I think so. And I also happen to know someone who works at the company, so I have a little bit of insider ah. knowledge as far as what range they're likely to offer in. That is the best. That's yes. Then yeah. I would I would maybe <laughs> ask for a little bit more than that. <laughs> Even more than we said a couple of minutes ago. Ask for that, Heidi. Yeah. And okay. you know, like, what's the worst? They've already offered you the job. It's not like they're going to say, oh, you're greedy on second thought and we're not going to hire yeah. you. They'll just yeah, give you the exactly. number that they can do. Yeah. I mean, there's some research that shows that women do get dinged more for being aggressive in these negotiations because really? we're not expected to be Rico. It's just like, this is why there's always this double standard at work here. I'm sorry. So yeah. I know you don't have to apologize on behalf of our entire culture. But, I can't. You know. As a member of the patriarchy. <laughs> like, it's a fine yeah. line to walk, but you can do it, Heidi. You can do it. I can, I feel can it. do it. So what, how much is an acceptable amount of back and forth? Like I oh, say a number and then they're like, no, we can offer you this. Do I accept that? Or how many times can I kind of go back and forth before it's like, come on, just accept it. I think it's general. I mean, in my experience, it's like a, maybe a couple of rounds. Yeah. It's like you give a number, yeah. they okay. give a number back. You're like, how about we compromise? And then they either do or don't. I'll tell you, here's, okay. a, here's another thing I've tried, Heidi. When the number that came back to me did not make me happy, I asked mm-hmm. for something completely different. Like, okay, if that's the salary, then I need an extra week's vacation. Good point. Or I, you're like, mm. think about the, your total compensation, yeah. not just your salary. So yep. is there anything else that they could put in a total compensation package, like some kind of signing bonus or mm. moving fees or any of those kinds of things? Be creative about the total amount of money. Yeah. It doesn't all have to be in your salary. And it sounds also like you are more than ready to do this, by the way. I just think you needed us to tell you that. So you are. Go yes. get it. I'm ready. I'm inspired. I'm going to negotiate that 800000 Yeah. Rock on, Heidi. I feel bad for that employer. They're about to lose a lot of money. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Yeah, yeah, said our listeners, life-changing career and workplace advice, yada, yada, yada. What we want from Safer Work is more talk about annoying corporate speak. And so we turn now to another edition of what has become the most popular segment on this show, Lingo Bingo. It's pretty simple how this works. You, our listeners, send the corporate terminology that's been driving you nuts. Mm -hmm. Then we talk about it and decide just how lame it is. Which usually is pretty lame. Here we go. Our listener Bryce writes, I work in a corporate office. Every person here always uses the word delta (laughs) to refer to a difference between two numbers. I know delta is a correct term, but isn't it just a sophisticated way of saying difference? There's no real functional reason to say delta between two figures instead of difference between two figures. Make it stop. 
You know, three exclamation I, points. Bryce, I feel your pain. This one caught on so fast. Yeah. You know, I can remember exactly the corporate conference room I was in when I realized that Delta was trending. Really? You know, and I wonder where did these language changes start? Mm. Who's the original Delta Force, Rico? <laughs> Who well, started that? But this is actually, I kind of am into Delta, but I think it's just because, you know, like I've never been in the military, but I have uh-huh. a kind of an admiration for military jargon, and this okay. is like a rare opportunity okay. to use it in my daily life. So it just makes you feel more. Much Macho? Yeah, yeah. It feels like okay. I'm a person of action or Delta-ing or something. You're Delta-ing. Okay, next up, here's a letter from Mary. Yes. I have some business lingo you'll enjoy. Bubble it up and trickle it down. Do I work at a beverage company, you ask? No. Our upper management was so excited about these terms, we had a meeting about it with 300-plus people in attendance. It is now the butt of a lot of jokes. Yeah, rightly so. Um, uh, what is bubbling up? What is the, uh, is the idea that we're like... Uh, I think as... we're saying things. I think what we're doing is we're, we're saying, here's what I think, and that's bubbling things up. Oh, okay. okay. So I don't it's know. Not, it's not bringing it to upper management or something. It it's, might be. It's just bringing it to the surface using language, which is what we do all the time at work. Here's what I would suggest, Mary. Maybe you could confound people by using slightly skewed versions of these words, like gurgling it up mm. or mm. tinkling it down. <laughs> just start saying that and see if anyone notices, right? Yeah. I it's see... just as logical as the words you're using. Sure. I want to see economists start using that instead of trickle-down economics. It's tinkle-down. Tinkle because down. Yeah. that's what it feels like. Sometimes it does to those of us on the bottom. Uh-huh. All right. Here's one from our listener, Carl. He says... I find that most corporate jargon are just opportunities for people to compliment themselves. For example, bleeding edge, which basically refers to something so cutting edge, so revolutionary, a new term needed to be coined. Mm-hmm. But did it really? <laughs> or I my least know. favorite term, he says, is when a group of people are assembled to fix a problem and either call themselves a SWAT team or a tiger team. <laughs> Come on, going back to my military <laughs> yeah, thing see, from earlier. Yeah, see, it's your Delta Force. People like it. I, I mean, I understand it, but you're right. That is a little ridiculous to call your little group that's planning the company picnic a SWAT team. <laughs> it's kind of like when whoever... Who's in charge of the cornhole anyway? That's important. That's <laughs> the, the Tiger Team cornhole. Uh, you're right, Carl. Although I will also say that, Carl, aren't you, in a way, by identifying this and sending it into a podcast to be read over the air, aren't you sort of seeking a compliment for yourself? So maybe we could all just maybe not cast aspersions. No, I think it's because podcasting is so bleeding edge, Rika. No, that's right. <laughs> we are, I often say, on the bleeding edge of podcast technology. We got one more here from Becky. Do you want to read this? I mm-hmm. like this one. Sure. I just came across the most intensely lingo filled sentence that I think I have ever seen, and I thought you might enjoy it as well. Thanks, Becky. The strategic planning team grows the organization's portfolio via visioning, strategic themes, roadmaps, and enterprise consolidation. Mm. Any idea what they actually do, she asks? Not me. Yeah. You? No, 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 I don't get it either. Maybe they do nothing. That that is true. (laughs) That's a fancy way of saying I don't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, we We have We do things like we say things and we think things. And we can do that for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, We realize, ladies and gentlemen, that work lingo doesn't always come from the corporate world. If you work in an industry that has ridiculous jargon, we want to hear it. Email us at safe at wondery.com. So I have a friend of mine who's kind of a very high-powered dude. Yeah. One night over drinks, he says to me, uh, I have a tip to change your life. What? Two words, work slippers. 
is what he said. <laughs> work slippers. But do you know what? And that's a good idea, like putting on slippers at yeah. work. You just feel comfortable and nice kicking uh-huh. it around the office. Got a better idea. Just wear Bombas socks. Bombas. Kick know, off your yeah. shoes and wander around. That they, is all you need. They look good. Mm-hmm. For one thing, they have all sorts of cool stripes. Some of them have bees embroidered yes, on I them. I have those. Yes, I right? love those. They have the honeycomb arch support. That's right. There's a cushioned footbed. You, yeah, you don't need shoes. No. You just need the Bomba socks. And here's the best part to me. Socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters across the U.S. So when Bomba's founders saw that statistic, they decided to donate one pair of socks to someone in need for every pair of socks they sell. Just another reason to love Bombas. So you can save 20% by visiting bombas.com slash safe. That's bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash safe. And entering the offer safe in the checkout code space. Watch out, work slippers. All right, folks, we got some bad news. The show's almost over today. But the good news is, let's take another call from a listener. We have Priya on the line now. Hello, Priya. Hi. Thanks for taking my question. Yeah, yeah. So Rico and I both understand you're trying to find a new job. So what's the issue for you? How can we help? Well, I work for a pretty big city organization, um, and I'm on call from 9 to 5, which means I have very little time to leave my office. And I've been trying to apply for jobs, um, basically soul-crushing, but (laughs) I can't seem to get away from the office to interview. Mm -hmm. Um, I've actually been thinking about resigning so I can actually dedicate some time to a job search, and I wanted to know what your thoughts were. Well, first of all, from the letter that you sent us, it's uh, your soul-crushing job is actually kind of a fascinating soul-crushing job. You're in emergency management? (laughs) I am, yes. So what is that? We want to know what you actually do, Priya. And please don't leave your job. (laughs) Those people need your help. Um, So what is emergency management as a field? What do you do? I work in emergency management for a really large city on the East Coast. So I basically sit um, in an office most of my day on a good day, and I monitor if there are any, um, if there's a hurricane that's coming by or um, possibly if a large hospital um, doesn't have water wow. or their electricity got shut off because that's huge. Um, it's a huge impact to the city. And sure. um, we would need to be able to evacuate patients and that sort of thing. That's amazing. How did you land in this field? Did you, Is this something you sought out or just one of those things that happens in a career trajectory? I did my undergrad in environmental geology and was fascinated by natural disasters. Um, So then I did my master's in basically disaster management and then thought I got my dream job um, here, but it just didn't work out. Um, It wasn't exactly like the movie Volcano is what you're saying, where a geologist is the hero. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, saving Los Angeles from a volcano that erupts. Yeah, it's a, I spend my day in an office mostly, and I don't really get to be involved in the community, which is something I really wanted to do. Mm. Um, Part of my master's was working on heat emergencies for this city and how that affects residents and community organizations. And with this position, I'm basically stuck in an office all day or I'm stuck in 
an underground bunker coordinating stuff with other city agencies. Yeah. Wow. Well, you sound like a hero in the making, so let's figure out. <laughs> yeah. And here's the good news, Priya. You sound highly trained. Yes. So you sound super employable to me. Can I just say that right from the get-go? Sure, I'll hire Super you. employable. Thank you. <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about this is that your job restrictions actually aren't that different from those of a standard office job. Like typically in any office job, you have to be there from 9 to 5, you might get a quick break for lunch. That's not even going to be enough time to do a job interview usually. So I think like what most mm-hmm. folks do when they have a job interview schedule during work hours is you take the day off. And either you got to burn some vacation time or you take a sick day, which, by the way, this is absolutely a good reason to do the little white lie and say, uh, <clears throat> I have a little something in my throat and I can't make it in today. And... You know, go and do it. Yeah, you know, Priya, your letter said I'm thinking of resigning so I can dedicate actual time to a job search. You know, that I would recommend against. Yeah. Do you feel that feels a little rash to me? Like you're like that's going too far. Mm-hmm. And it also, it also, I mean, it's a common wisdom, but I think it's a good one. Is generally speaking, it's better to have a job in hand before you vacate the job that you're in. You're you're more of a catch for another organization if you're currently employed than if you're not. So weird, but yeah, I, I, I feel like I get that same yeah. advice. And... That's true, although, you know, you don't jump off the Empire State Building if everyone's doing it. But I think in this <laughs> case, that's not. this is not an Empire State Building jump. So how specifically do you want your new job to be different than your current job? Because it sounds like you want to stay um, in your field. You actually like your field. So what kind of job could you get in your field that would be different than the one you're currently in? Well, because I work for local government, I would probably just have to find another local government to work for. But it would probably be a similar situation where as an entry-level employee, I would still probably be on call and the same restrictions would be there. Um, I'm hoping to find a position where I can actually be involved in the community, maybe do some engagement kind of work. Right. In reality, I really am a people person, and honestly, I think I'm losing some of those skills because I haven't been able to do what I yeah. wanted to do and yeah. was once good at. It sounds like you have a strong idea that you're you're not in the right place for you and you want to kind of move up. It does occur to me, though, if you're looking for places that are also in local government, are they going to understand your restrictions and maybe would they be able to schedule you job interviews before or after your current hours? Companies do that all the time for people that are in different time zones or especially if you're staying in disaster management. I would assume any job that you're applying for, they understand that you're you're really such a conscientious person. Yeah. Nine to five, you are locked down. You're in the bunker. And it also right? makes you look great. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yes. no, I'm sorry. I can't do it because my current job, my responsibilities are so great. Are too great that uh, you're, you're going to have to get me when you can get me. Yeah. So if it's, you know, phone interviews, Skype interviews, things in the morning, things in the evening, I would think that there would be a process for accommodating people who have the kind of job you have if they're hiring people like you. Which yes. It sounds like your skills are totally transferable and they will yes. understand that. For the sake of all of us, I hope that a lot of people are looking for people with your skills. Yes. And speaking of which, by the way, please, if you do take a sick day or if you have to do, you know, any take a vacation day, please make sure that there's some backup for doing your job because we don't want whatever city it is you live in to like burn to ashes because you weren't there to dispatch the fire <laughs> department. 
Right. And that's kind of like one of the big problems that our office really has is our whole office undergoes a lot of turnover. That's burnout. Yeah, particularly in yeah. this thing, there's got to be a high level of burnout and stress from this yeah. thing. I have a sister who's on call. She's in a very different kind of job, but she works at a stroke clinic. And, you know, with strokes, the thing is the patient comes in and if they don't get administered whatever the medication is within right like minutes or hours, they've they've lost really valuable time. So she's on call with the beeper in the middle of the night, the whole thing. And it really is certain kinds of people just don't want those jobs or can't do them because it's a lot of responsibility to be on call when something when things are really on the line as they are in your job and in her job. Do you think that a new job is going to be less stressful, though, even if it gets you out of the office? Um, I'm actually looking at things that are more uh, managerial and sort of this monitoring kind of work. So something where I can work in partnerships or um, kind of emergency preparedness education. So I can still like have and exercise those people skills that I <laughs> that are slowly wearing away. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Priya, five minutes ago, I didn't even know this field or this job existed. But now that I do, and I'm an expert on it, I would think that one of the keys of disaster management is preparedness. So the sort of people that want to be out in the community telling us, like, I live in the high earthquake zone. I really need to understand what's supposed to happen. What can can I do in advance? And what do I do when the big one hits? So We need you, Priya. Yes. So get out there. I hope that we've helped you. In, in some way, yeah. getting out of the office and into the world. Definitely. It was good to have someone kind of objective to be like, don't quit your job, just stick it out. The right thing will come yes. along. Yes, it will come along. Thank okay, you. and don't leave the bunker until there's a replacement there. Please. <laughs> All right, I'll try. I'll try my best. In case you missed anything from this episode, just tap the cover art to check out the notes for today's show. You will also find our email address, safe at wondery.com, and some great offers from our sponsors. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com slash survey. It'll help us wow. make the show better for listeners like you. And who doesn't want that, really? No, nobody. This episode was hosted by me, Rico Galliano, host, journalist, and anti-brunch author, and Liz Dolan, boss emeritus and satellite sister. Our original theme song is composed by Martin Blanco, audio engineering by Misha Stanton, produced by Cameron Kell, executive produced by Allison O'Neill and Marshall Louie, created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy. But you don't have to. Most days, you've got a lot of places to go and a lot to get done before you can even think about falling into bed at night. Wouldn't it be nice if you could stay connected to the world while you were out there getting it all done? What if the experience of driving a luxury vehicle wasn't limited to just inside your car, but extended out into the world around you? Introducing the well-connected 2019 Lincoln MKC. With a suite of social tech, including Waze integration so seamless, the map appears right on the screen. Amazon Alexa, with access to all the skills and services you get on your Echo, and a 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot that allows up to 10 devices to connect at once with Lincoln Connect. With your 2019 Lincoln MKC, you're transforming traffic jam streets into clear roads. Empowering your voice to instantly change your environment. Set temperature to 72 degrees. 
all to make life a little easier. And when you're finally done, Waze, take me home. Let's get started. You're getting a seamless experience right to the very end. Alexa, open my garage door. Okay. Available via iPhone with Sync 3 with software version 3.0. Commands may vary by phone and Apple Link software. Don't drive while distracted. Use voice-operated systems when possible. Don't use handheld devices while driving. iPhone is a trademark of Apple Inc. registered in the U.S. and other countries. The 2019 Lincoln MKC. Learn more at lincoln.com slash wondery. That's lincoln.com slash W-O-N-D-E-R-Y.